As everybody left here, turns with us to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been working through Hebrews for a while now, and quickly coming upon the passage in uh, in verse in chapter 12 that we'll be preaching on uh, in two weeks. That uh, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and that should motivate us, encourage us, seeing those who've gone on before. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is that great cloud of witnesses, those men and women who throughout the history of God's people have walked in faith, and we are going to see a few of their stories here this morning. I will be reading Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. You know, if there's one thing I enjoy doing in my spare time, it is diagramming sentences. Anybody with me? Some of you might not even know what I'm talking about, but yeah, okay, I've got, some, I've got my grammar fans up here. Uh, diagramming sentences is when you look at a sentence and you've got to identify, you know, what's the subject? What, who's doing something in the sentence? What is being done? What's the verb? What, what's an adverb? What's an adjective? What's a preposition? You've got to identify all these things and how they connect and how they relate uh, because it's important to know when you're looking at a sentence, especially a sentence such as the one I'm saying right now that tends to go on and on without a break and has a lot of random parts to it and a lot of complex moving parts. It's important to be able to know exactly what it's saying. And that's what's going on when you diagram a sentence, you're really just trying to find out at its heart, what's this even saying? You know, I can tell you that the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. What matters there is not, most importantly, the color of an animal or its propensity towards work. What matters is that the fox jumped. That's what's happening in that sentence. Everything else is detail. If we were to diagram Hebrews 11, we would see a pattern of verb, 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 verb. It's all about action. 
Because when people have faith, and that's the phrase you heard over and over, by faith, by faith, by faith. But look what happens. What follows by faith almost every time is an action. When people have faith, they do things. Faith moves us into action. And as I've said here from this pulpit many times, faith isn't just believing. Faith is acting on that belief. That's how we know that we have faith. Are you willing to do something? Are you willing to act on it? These verses that I just read begin with a promise made to Abraham. He was promised offspring. He was promised the promised land. He was promised that the nations would be blessed through him. And this section of verses ends with the people of God, the nation that came from Abraham, entering the promised land and Rahab, one of the the pagan Gentiles, being brought into the people of God. The promises of God being fulfilled that he had made to Abraham. And we see throughout this story how their faith in the blessing of God made them move. And as we look closer at the stories that they tell and the examples they give, we learn what it is about that faith that makes us act. We see that everyone living by faith is seeking this blessing of God in some way. And what they see and understand about that blessing propels them forward into an active obedience As we like to say here, that the people of God are living out the gospel together. So what is it about the blessing promised by faith that makes them move? And how does it push us into action as well? What we're going to see from uh, this list of stories is that the blessing of faith is reliable, it's worthy, and it's gracious. We begin with Abraham, who shows us that the blessing of faith is reliable. Abraham, who had received the promise specifically that he would become a great nation and that through his family, God would bless every family on earth. And God was specific because though Abraham ended up having many other children, God had said that the promise would be fulfilled through Isaac. And then God commands something that would be baffling in light of that promise, which is he says, Abraham, you've got to go make a sacrifice of Isaac and kill him. And so in verse 17 and 18, it says, he who had received the promises, Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only son. He was in the middle of the sacrifice. He was sacrificing the son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what does Abraham do when he's called to take an action that seems to undo and unravel the, the fabric of the promises of God to bless him? What Abraham does is he considers the one who gave both the promise and the command. What kind of God is he? What does he know about him? Verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, God did just that. Isaac was condemned to death, and Abraham received him back. So with that view of God, and and that's all Abraham knew. He didn't know what God was going to do. He just figured, if God is calling me to kill this child, this boy... But God has said that through him, he will keep all of his promises. Then God must be planning to raise him from the dead. And he is powerful enough to do that. With that understanding of God and the power of God in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when tested, offered up Isaac. Faith means living as if the blessing of God is reliable. Abraham knew that God could be trusted to follow through on what he said he would do, no matter what seemed to threaten or get in the way. 
And he would go to pass that conviction on to his sons, Isaac, to grandsons, to great-grandsons. And so in the following verses, beginning in verse 20, uh, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac had no more than, than Abraham did as far as the promise. He hadn't seen a great nation. He hadn't received the promised land. He hadn't seen the nations blessed. But he pronounced blessings on his son, saying, what God has said he's going to do, he's truly going to do it. So I bless you in confidence. Joseph did the same thing, or Jacob did the same thing, blessing Manasseh and Ephraim before he died, the sons of Joseph. And then Joseph, second in command in all of Egypt, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt and gave directions concerning his bones. He was so certain that they were going to leave this nation where at the time they were not slaves, they were comfortable, they were privileged. They were doing well. And, and Joseph said, no, God told us we're going to get that land over there. And I'm so sure of it that I want you to not bury me here. I want you to carry my bones back to where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac are buried. They had that confidence to live as if the promised things were a guarantee. They were certainly going to take place. They look ahead. They make plans based on the assumption that God's promised blessing is true. People of God, that's what we're called to today. We are given precious and great promises by God. And we are called to live as if those blessings and those promises are trustworthy, are reliable, are true. I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. Do we live as if God is ever present to support and help us? You will always have all you need. My God is able to supply all your needs from His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you live as if all your needs are provided for in Christ? The basis of our faith in that, in those promises, is much like Abraham's. When he was called to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham witnessed God's intention and God's power in an, which in effect communicated to Abraham that not even death can stop God from doing what he has promised. Through Isaac, Abraham witnessed the power of God to overcome even death. Do you remember how that happened? So Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac. They go up on the Mount of Moriah and Abraham is about, he's lifting the knife, he's about to sacrifice Isaac. The most horrible thing any parent could imagine being called to do and then an angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, stop, don't do it. And then in verse 22, Abraham, hearing that, he lifts up his eyes and looks, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, and Abraham takes the ram and offers it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God overcame the threat the specter of death by providing, in Isaac's place, a sacrifice. On that day, Abraham learned that God will provide even to overcome death. But the ram in the thicket was only a sign. It was a, a pointer to the much greater provision on the mountain of the Lord when God would again provide a substitute sacrifice on a hill in order to save his children from death and to guarantee the blessing He had promised, as we see in Romans 8. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Children of God, you can look to the cross and see 
that in providing the substitute, the ram in the thicket, the Christ on the cross, God has provided for you in a way that guarantees that nothing will come between his children and the good things that he promises them. When death tries to intervene and say, no, death will keep you from God, the enemy will keep you from God, he says, no, I will provide a sacrifice that will overcome every obstacle. This frees you to live boldly. As did Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Live boldly because you have received an even more sufficient guarantee of the even greater things that God has promised you. And the blessing of faith is reliable. But we not only live boldly, we also live joyfully in that confidence because when we know that God's good plan for us cannot be stopped by anything, it gives us joy to think about the future. That there is nothing, not life, death, heaven, hell, angels, demon, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That gives us joy as we look towards the future. That whatever takes place, it cannot stop the powerful hand of God that intends to bless. He knows the plans He has for His people and they are good plans. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be anxious nor do we need to hold tightly to what we have, lest we end up empty-handed. We serve a God who holds the future, who works in the present and has been faithful in the past. And every intention for His children is to bless. The blessing of faith moves us to action because it is reliable. The next set of verses look mainly at Moses. And in his life, we see faith acting in a way that shows that the blessing of faith is worthy it's worth whatever God calls us to do. If you were to ask me to do a polar bear plunge, you know, jump into icy water in the middle of winter and offered me a nickel for that, I would say you do not know the value I place on my health and my comfort. It's not worth it. If you were to offer me a million dollars to do a polar bear plunge, now we're talking. I'm not saying yes, I'm saying, okay, now we're talking at a more reasonable rate, okay? The, the blessing of faith is worthy. Moses shows us that, that it's worth far greater than anything else, and the worth of what God promises us, the blessing he promises us, has a power to motivate us and compel us. Remember the background of Moses. He was born a slave, a Hebrew slave in Egypt. His parents hid him when all the, the Hebrew boys were to be slaughtered. And by God's perfect plan and providence, Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter herself. And she took him in, adopted him, and raised him as her own. And yet when he was grown, he was, I mean, he was living in the palace. He had a life of privilege, position, power, protection. If he had accepted that, in order to accept that, he would have had to identify with Egypt and reject his connection and his identity with the people of God. He would have had to be unfaithful to God. But yet, to choose faithfulness to God, to identify himself with the Hebrew people and with the slaves of Egypt would mean great loss, incredible sacrifice. He would have to give up all of that. The position, the power, the prestige, the protection of Egypt. And look what he does, verse 24 through 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, not only did he have to give up the luxury that he was born in, but he had to take on 
the persecution, the abuse, and the shame of being counted among God's people. None of few of us would choose abuse, choose slaughter, choose to be mistreated. And though as God's people, we should expect to suffer and be mistreated and to endure unfairness and to be teased and mocked because we follow Christ, Jesus tells us that when we choose that for his sake, we are blessed. Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. It's worthy. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are blessed when we suffer for the name of Jesus, not because the suffering itself is enjoyable, We are blessed when we're treated poorly for following Jesus because it shows that we belong to him. We are on his side, which entails a far greater reward than anything we have to endure or give up. Moses recognized this. And his faith in the worth of what God was offering moved him to action. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I want you to consider that. That there is nothing that anyone could offer him that could compare with what he knew God was offering. What power do people have over you? One of the powers that the world and that people in the world have over us is the power to tempt us, to offer us something that we want badly. Now, I'm not just talking about money, though that, that's, that's it for some people. They have the power to offer you acceptance, power to offer you a sense of belonging, power to offer you dignity and respect, approval. And yes, wealth, success, comfort, pleasures. But when we understand the worth of what God offers in exchange, those things lose their power over. And likewise, there is another power I would suggest that people have over us, and that is the power to threaten us. They can tempt us, but they can also threaten us. And when we rightly understand what God has promised us, those threats also lose their power. Romans 8.18, Paul says, The suffering of of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory, the worth, the value of what's to be revealed in us. When we understand that, the fear of harm, the threat that the world has over us, loses its power. This was the case with Moses and his parents. In verse 23, Moses' parents, when he was born, they hid him for three months because they saw that he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They saw the worth of their child and they were not afraid to do what was right. In verse 27, Moses, when he left Egypt by faith... He was not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Both Moses and his parents said, the world has no power to threaten me because what God is offering is greater than anything the world can do to me. They were not afraid of what the most powerful man in the most powerful empire of their day could do to them because the blessing of faith was worthy. 
It was greater than any temptation or bribe or riches, and it was greater than any threat or suffering. The blessing that God promises you and guarantees you, which is reliable, is so great that the world loses its power to threaten you and to tempt you. So when you feel that, when you feel the temptation, when you feel the fear, remind yourself, no matter how strong this fear feels, no matter how strong the allure of what the world would offer, how great must be the blessing of God if it is greater than that. And it truly, truly is. The blessing of faith is worthy. Brothers and sisters, that removes our fear. The last verses in this passage may seem like a series of just notable biblical events, all prefaced with the phrase, well, by faith. By faith this happened, by faith that happened, but if we look at them a little more closely, we're going to see a theme that shows us that this blessing of faith that is reliable and supremely worthy is gracious. It is gracious. It is not earned. It is given. Verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now let me ask, was the difference there that between the Israelites and the Egyptians that the Israelites had faith and trusted God and therefore God opened up the sea for them? Meanwhile, the Egyptians did not trust or worship or believe in God and therefore they were drowned. Was that how the Bible story went? Listen to the Bible story in Exodus 14. As they approach the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army are closing in. They draw near. The people of Israel lift up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, if they had faith, we would expect them to cry out to the Lord and say, O oh Lord, you are almighty and powerful. Look what you've done to deliver us from Egypt. Now take us through this storm. No, they lift up their voice and cry out to Moses. Is it because there's no graves in Egypt? That you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we, we told you? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. That we Let us be slaves. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Are those the words of a people of great faith? Are those the words of faith that part the seas and move the mountains? No! The Red Sea did not part because the people of God had faith. The Red Sea parted because God was gracious in the midst of their unbelief and their sin and their rebellion. And he rescued them when they did not deserve it and didn't even ask for it or want it. They wanted to be slaves. And God wanted to rescue them. In spite of themselves, God was gracious and blessed them. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Okay, you know the story. After the Red Sea, they wander through the wilderness. They receive the law. They, they see the, the, the vision of the Lord on Mount Sinai as they receive the Ten Commandments. They tremble in fear, and, and they receive manna and quail to feed them for 40 years. Water coming out of rocks in the desert. Their sandals don't wear out. They, they are protected. They see miraculous victory over armies. And finally, they arrive to the promised land. They're standing outside Jericho. Sure now they believe that God is on their side and powerful and will deliver them. And when he says, go up and take the land, surely they have the faith to march around Jericho, as the Lord says seven times, and shout, and the Lord will give them the city. Surely now it is their faith that is doing this, right? 
No. Even the victory in battle is a gracious blessing of God. Listen to in Deuteronomy 9, just perhaps mere weeks before they marched on Jericho. Moses says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness or your faith. For you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Was it their faith in God that brought down the walls of Jericho? No. It was the grace of God in spite of their stubborn unbelief. Speaking of Jericho, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I love the story of Rahab. I'm going to give you my Rahab sermon in like three minutes here. Okay. <laughs> Yes, Rahab acted in faith. She did the right thing. She believed. Now, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the story, Rahab was a prostitute who lived like in a in a home within the walls of Jericho, the great walls that came tumbling down. And when Joshua sent spies to scope out Jericho and try to figure out what their battle plan should be, um, before they were caught, they hid in Rahab's house, and she protected them. Lied, sent the you know police off in another direction, and uh, and then said, "Hey, look, I've heard what your God is doing, and I know that." Our walls are coming down and your God is supreme. When that happens, remember my kindness to you and you know, let me be on your side. And they said, hey, our lives for your lives. You know, when we come to take over the city, you're going to be with us. Okay, we'll take care of you. Rahab had faith and she was saved. But here's the great thing about Rahab's story. Look what else happened in Joshua 6 as they're going in to take to march around the walls of Jericho, Joshua sends in the two spies to get Rahab. And he says, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Rahab did what was right. Rahab had faith. And her family, who had done nothing, were saved. They were saved and included in the people of God. They had no faith. They protected no spies. They had confessed no allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel. But Rahab did. And because of Rahab's faith, they were saved. In this way, Rahab is like Jesus Christ. And we are the family, the household of Rahab. We are spared destruction and brought to a new home, not because of anything we have done, but because of the obedience of someone else in our place. Just as Romans 5, 19, by the one man, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by Jesus, the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He believes, he is faithful, he does what is right, we are saved and blessed. It is grace beginning to end. So verse 28 shows how that happens. By faith, going back to Moses, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. When God was rescuing his people from Egypt, he was going to strike down all the firstborn of Egypt, but he gave his people 
a substitute sacrifice. Not because they earned it, not because they deserved it, but in grace, he said, I'm going to make a way that you will not be destroyed. The blessing of faith is gracious. They received the promises of God, deliverance from death and destruction, and were brought into their new home because God stepped in and provided a sacrifice. Just as with Isaac before, so with the Passover, and then ultimately with Jesus Christ. It is not our morality. It is not our spirituality. It's not our doctrine. It's not our worship. It's not our tithing. It's not our feelings. It's not our serving. It's not anything else that we do that secures or earns for us the blessing of faith. It is gracious. Even faith itself is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. You didn't muster up faith. It is a gift of God. The blessing of faith that moves us into action is gracious. We don't deserve it, brothers and sisters. It's not a reward that you've earned by believing the right things. It is a blessing you receive from the generous, gracious hand of God. And so, people of God, be humble. I say this to young, eager, on-fire Christians who know everything. And I say this to venerable, honorable saints of many years. Be humble. You are what you are by the grace of God. You have what you have by His free gift alone. Be humble not just before the Lord, but be humble before one another so that if you are more mature than your sister in Christ, thank God and do not judge her or boast over her. If you are more righteous than your unbelieving neighbor, thank God and do not in your heart look down on them. But on the other hand, because the blessing of faith is gracious, have hope. Have hope. You cannot lose what you did not earn. You cannot fall short of deserving what was always a gift. You have failed to love and obey as you ought. Yes, you have failed, but you have not lost His love. Moreover, have hope for your neighbors, for your children, for your loved ones who are apart from, who stand outside of the grace of God with hardened hearts and an absence of faith, have hope. Because your prayer and hope and expectation is not that they will someday, on their own, muster up the faith to believe, or you will someday, with the right argument or the perfect meme or that beautiful video, somehow convince them to have faith. Your hope is that God is gracious and He gives faith. And what He gives, no one can deny or take away. The blessing of faith is gracious. Very briefly, we're going to conclude with a song by singing, All I Have is Christ. For those who want the reliable blessing of faith that moved Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all you have is Christ. And He will never leave you nor forsake you. Because in Christ, all the promises of God are yes, they are reliable. For those who seek and desire the worthy blessing that moved Moses, all you have is Christ, and in Him are the riches of God. And for those who want a secure blessing of faith, 
All you have is Christ, and that is enough. Because God is gracious indeed. Seek not to convince your heart that you have done enough, or believed rightly enough, or felt sincerely and deeply enough. Seek only to know and be assured that if you have Christ, you have the grace of God. And He will not be taken away from you for any failure on your part, because God is gracious. Let us thank the Lord today for His grace to us in Jesus Christ. We have Christ. That is enough. Heavenly Father, we look to You as the One who has given us all we need. We desire to live by faith, to move in the way that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and all the people of God moved, knowing that in each of their lives Your work was of grace from beginning to end. They did not seek You, You sought them. They did not earn Your power and love that worked amazingly through them. Neither must we. You are gracious to us. Thank You, Heavenly Father, that we can trust in these things. Strengthen our hearts, we pray, by Your Spirit at work in us until we attain to all the fullness of what You intend for us. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.